Well, it's good to see all of you uh, this morning. If you're a guest, my name is David, and I'm the pastor of the church. So we're glad you're here on the last day of the year and the last Sunday of the year. This is one of those rare years where we have 53 Sundays, and I hope you had a great year. I hope you have a, a good year next year. I hope you eat some black eyed peas tomorrow. You know, if you're from the south or from Texas, you understand how important that is. I already had mine made, made them up last night just to be careful. You know, want to be extra prosperous next year. I hope that uh, if you made any resolutions, you can keep them for a week. So when you come back next Sunday, you can say, I've kept my resolutions all year long. I'm in good shape, you know. And I hope that, you know, tomorrow you uh, pull from the University of Texas. That would be nice. And then maybe we'll see what happens, you know. Had a good, good day yesterday. Um, and, and today's sermon is a little bit different. Uh, it's not a, a, a regular sermon. There's not the formality of it. So if you're a guest and you think, well, that was strange, you know, Come back next week, and it'll be normal. Still strange, but normal uh, how we do things. And as we come to the end of the year, I think what I really just want to talk to you about today is we come, we're going to come to the Word of God, but I don't want to worry about the formalities of points and screens and all that. I just want to share with you as you get ready for 2024 to love God more than anything. I think in, in, you look at this year, it's a goal for you, a resolution, whatever, just love God more than anything. 2023 was different for me. For the first time since 1977, I had an entire year without Debbie. Uh, we've been, you know, since I was 16. It was the first year of my life that I didn't have either Debbie or my mom. And so I went a whole year not really knowing what to do, not having anybody to correct me. Um, I went a whole year, and I never heard my middle name one time. I don't even, I don't even remember what it is. I don't even know if I have a middle name. No, no one was using it in that way, you know? And, and it was a different, different year. And... It was a year where, you know, I've always had, I mean, since Debbie and I got married at least, I've always had a person that I could focus on. And that, you know, you, you build your life with and around, and then you don't have that, and it's just different and uh, kind of strange. And then, you know, for mostly my life this past year has been about First Baptist Church, you know, and, and trying to focus on that, getting ready for, you know, when phase two comes, and uh, sometime in the next week or two, we're going to you know, sign uh, the document on that eight and a half million dollar loan and close that out. And then hopefully sometime in March, at least maybe even February, we'll begin building, you know, that building and it'll take about 14 or 15 months and about a year and a half, it's going to be done. And I was thinking the other day, what's going to happen after that year and a half? I mean, where am I going to focus? I'm just, I'm like you, I think about me. I'm not that you think about me, but you think about you, I think about me. And just like you, you know, I wonder about my life and what my life is going to be like and what it will hold. And I'm thinking a year and a half from now, God, what's it going to be like? It's going to be so different for me. And I begin to realize that there's certain things that are just basic, no matter who you are or where you are in your life. And loving God is basic to all of that. And I begin to think, you know, in, in John chapter 13, right before the cross. I mean, it's, it's the night before Judas has gone to betray Jesus. Jesus has got a few guys with him. He's got the 11. And he looks at those guys and he says, I'm going to give you a new commandment. And by new, he doesn't mean it's the first time you've heard it, but he's going to give it to him in a way that's fresh and give it to him in a way that's different. And here's what he says to them. This is the commandment that I give to you, that you love one another. And this is how everyone will know that you follow me. This is how the world will know you're to my disciples. This is how the world will know we're different when you love one another. Two days before that, he set the groundwork for that phrase when he was in the temple of God on the week of his crucifixion. Now, 
understand, the word love, the concept of love that's in the New Testament is different than the concept of love we see in the world today. The world and our culture love to take New Testament terms and ideas and throw it in our face. And so you Christians, you know, you're supposed to love, blah, 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 you know, love and all that. Their understanding of love is different than ours. The culture's idea of love is very self-centered. It's about what you can do for me. It's focused on the self. But the, the New Testament idea of love is different. In the New Testament, the Greek word, the primary word for love, agape, is a word rarely found outside the New Testament. It was a word that somehow was rarely used, and it became used by Christians. And the best picture of that word is found in John 3.16, where it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son. The concept of agape love, which the word is agape, the concept of that love is just a giving of self. It's not... What can you do for me? It's what can I do for you? It's the giving of oneself. And on Tuesday, the day, the week of the cross, when all of that was was going on, Jesus was in there, the temple, and with his disciples, and the religious leaders were all around. The the religious leaders now have had enough of Jesus. They were going to kill him. And there's two basic groups of religious leaders. There is the Sadducees, and there's other groups. The two basic are this. There are the Sadducees, which are the elitist. They're they're associated with the temple. You don't find them outside of Jerusalem. Jesus rarely dealt with them. Their focus is on the temple and the sacrifices, but their real focus is on themselves and their status and their place and their relationship with Rome, which is pretty good, and they like it that way. They, They only follow the law, the first five books of the Bible. They don't follow the rest of what we call the Old Testament or their scriptures. They don't follow that. They don't believe in resurrection. They don't believe in in heaven and hell. I mean, they're really kind of secular in some sense. I mean, and and, and their whole world is focused on themselves as they live in Jerusalem, and they live in such an elite status. The other basic group are the Pharisees, and we see them all around. There were several thousand of them. They were everywhere in Israel. And while they were wealthier and better off than the average person, they were much more in common with them. They people found Pharisees wherever they lived. And the Pharisees were concerned with all of the Bible, all, the, all of their scripture, all of what we call the Old Testament. And they were concerned with keeping the law and all that the law involved. And, you know, that was their life. And they were just focused on those things. But the thing about the Pharisees is they were about what it meant to be right with God. Now, their concept of what to be right with God was wrong. They believed their righteousness was based on the fact that they were born Jewish, and they believed their righteousness was based on their keeping of all the law. That's what they believed. But still, they at least wanted to follow God to some degree. And some would eventually become Christians, and they believed in resurrection, heaven and hell. They believed in all of that. But they all, while the Pharisees and Sadducees were enemies of each other, it's kind of like the old saying, the enemy of my enemy is my friend, and they were friends on this day because their enemy was Jesus. What am I hearing? Huh? Oh, well, whatever I'm hearing, you know, I've heard it enough. <laughs> to be honest with you, you can cut it off anytime you feel like it. It's fine. And so, you know, they're there in the temple. And so they decide they're going to trap Jesus one more time. And so the, the Pharisees are, uh, I mean, are going to take first shot. And there's this other group called the Herodians. They don't really matter. So they come to Jesus and say, do we need to pay taxes to Caesar? Because that's, you know, it's a trap question without going into detail. And Jesus said, give me a coin. They gave him a coin. Whose picture's on it? Caesar. And they said, you give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar. Give to God what belongs to God. And just shut him up. I mean, they were just done. 
And then, you know, the Sadducees are going to take a run at Jesus. And, you know, the Sadducees don't believe in, in resurrection. They don't believe in, in heaven or hell. So the Sadducees, you know, come to Jesus with this, you know, contrived story. And there was this woman. She married this guy. You know, the guy died, had no kids. And in their day, if you die with no kids, then you marry The woman was obligated to marry the next single relative. Uh, the next relative who was single, and then the first child she had belonged to the first husband. And so they said, that she married his brother. He died without a kid. Next brother died without a kid. Seven brothers married her, all died without a kid. And the first thing I would think of is like, man, you're that fifth or sixth brother. You're like, I don't want to marry this woman. That is not good news. And they said, Who's, uh, whose wife will she be in the resurrection? And Jesus gave this amazing answer. He just, Jesus just had this way. He said, here's your problem. You, you don't understand anything because you don't understand the power of God or the scriptures. He said, here's your problem. Here's why you're mistaken. He says, you're mistaken because you don't understand the scriptures, the power of God. And these are the Sadducees, they're religious leaders. He says, you're ignorant. You're, you're a bunch of knuckleheads. I'm putting it in the most common, basic, you know, English. He says, you don't know anything that you think you know because you don't know the scriptures. And you don't even know God. Can you imagine how insulting that is? When you're one of these elitist religious leaders to have Jesus tell you this. And he goes on and says this. He said, if you knew the scriptures, you would know that when Moses came to the burning bush and the Lord said to him, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So he is the God of the living, not the dead. And it's kind of like this. Go learn that stuff. And so they go away ticked. And we can find in Mark chapter 12, and also in Matthew chapter 22, but I'm going to come into Mark chapter 12, that listening into all this was this guy who was a scribe. Now, a scribe was an expert in the law. They were connected with the Pharisees. Not all, scribes, not all Pharisees were scribes. Most scribes were Pharisees. But this is, like, this is like the guy who knows the Old Testament, their scriptures. He's like a seminary professor and a half. This guy knows it. And so he comes up to Jesus. And in Matthew's account, you know, it's just kind of matter of fact. But Luke, I mean, me, Mark gives the idea that this guy, he realized that Jesus had given really good answers. I mean, really, really, really good answers. And he was impressed with Jesus. You can be, a, you can be opposed to somebody and give them respect. You can have an enemy and grudgingly admire them. And I think this one of these cases where he's just saying, man, Jesus is pretty sharp. I mean, first place, he's going to be really happy they put the Sadducees in their place. I mean, he's going to be thrilled that Jesus just hammered the Sadducees. So that's going to be good. But even beyond that, he's realizing Jesus is pretty sharp. So he wants to ask him this question. And this is not a trap question. Sometimes people make it like this is one of those tricky questions. This is a question that got asked all the time. In their world, they would oftentimes have these doctrinal discussions. It's like when a group of preachers get together, and inevitably one, somebody wants to discuss theology. And I, that's why I hate getting with preachers to discuss theology. It's just boring. But they want to do that. And so he asked a basic question. He said, of all the commandments, so there were 613 different commandments. There were the 10 that we think of as the 10 commandments. But there were 613 rules, regulations, all that. He said, what's the most important? Which one is first? In other words, he's not saying, I want you to rank them all, but it was a common question with that many rules and regulations. Which takes priority over all else? They had these discussions all the time. And so he's actually just drawing Jesus into a very genuine discussion. And then Jesus gives his answer. And unlike the previous answers, he doesn't, he doesn't like he did with the Pharisees, ask them a couple of questions to trap them, or you know, basically just ridicule him like he did the, Pharise the Sadducees. He gives a straight-up answer. 
He says, here it is. And then he begins to quote what is found in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4, called the Shema. The word Shema means to hear. Hear, O Israel, the Lord thy God is one. And in Deuteronomy 6, 4, it says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. He quotes it this way in Mark. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. Matthew records this in saying, love him with all your heart, soul, and mind. And the difference between that isn't that somebody has it correct and some is wrong. It's a matter really of understanding the fluidity of, the, of, of that passage. In other words, it's not hung up in those exact words, heart, soul, might, or mind, or strength. It's caught up in the idea that you've got to love God with everything you have. He says, love God with everything you have. And that, was the, and that was a great answer, and that was not an uncommon answer. That would have been an answer that most of them would have agreed with. But he goes one step beyond. He does something they didn't commonly do. He linked two different passages. He linked that with Leviticus 19.18. He said, oh, there's a second one. And it's every bit as important as the first. Love your neighbor as much as you love yourself. This is what is first. And he says, you take God and you take your neighbor and love him. Now, Jesus also isn't ranking, but he's saying this. There is a connection between loving God and other lo loving others. You can't love other people if you don't love God. You really can't. Our culture likes to think you can, but you can't. But neither can you truly love God if you don't love other people. I mean, in 1 John, that's what John says. How can you say you love God when you don't love your brother? Jesus takes those two, combines them, and then in John 13, 34, two days later, he says, just love one another. Understanding you have to love God. These two things are connected. So love God with everything you have, and then you love the neighbor as yourself. And then the scribe looked at him and said, well, yeah, that's a great answer. And then he makes this comment, and I'm paraphrasing, because love is more important than all the sacrifices and all the offerings. That scribe, in the place of the temple, where they do the sacrifice and offerings and the Sadducees rule, he said, love is more important than everything we do here. You're right. And then Jesus looks at him, and he says this to the scribe. Understand, this is a religious leader. He says, you're not far from the kingdom of God. You're not there. You're not far. And understand, if anyone was a part of the kingdom already, it was the scribe. I mean, the kingdom of God is the rule and reign of God. If you were a Pharisee, a scribe, if you were a Jew, you were automatically born into the kingdom of God because you were Jewish. But... How you've lived your life, your righteousness determines your rank. And when I preached through the Gospel of Mark two years ago in 2022, I talked about how they built a system of self-righteousness, and, and Jesus constantly fought that. I mean, to this, to this scribe, in his knowledge of the law, he was righteous. And Jesus said, you're not righteous because you know all that, but you aren't far. You just aren't that far. And you think about that for a moment. I mean, to all the Pharisees and the religious leaders, they didn't love God. Well, they would tell you they loved God, but they didn't. And one of the reasons they didn't love God is because they didn't love Jesus. I mean, there was God in the flesh. By now, for three years, he had done miracles. He has raised at least three people back to life. A few weeks earlier, he had raised a guy named Lazarus who had been dead four days. I mean, nobody but God can do that. He did things in their presence that they would have to admit only God can do. He taught as someone like no one had ever taught before. He stumped them continually. If anyone was going to be God in their presence, the Messiah, it was him, and they had all rejected him, so they didn't love God. But what they loved was their religion. They loved their rules. They loved their regulations. They loved their status in life. They loved the place they belonged to. 
They loved the way that people gave them honor and respect. They loved themselves, but they never loved God, even though they thought they did. And Jesus says, you're not far from the kingdom. You know the law. You keep all the religious customs, and you keep all the rules and regulations. You do that so well. There's just one thing that you're lacking. You don't love God with everything you have. And you don't love other people either. But the fact that you recognize that's what matters more than anything else, unlike these other guys, you're not far. You're not far. You're not far. I wonder sometimes... The way we live, and I know I'm a follower of Jesus, but do I live my life sometimes like I'm not far from the kingdom? Do I live my life, do you live your life like you're not far from the kingdom? In other words, everything is so good, but you lack this one thing. We don't love the way we should love. We don't love other people. And we don't love God. And the thing more than, than I want to focus on, loving other people is important, and I'm not going to shy away from that, but... For us right now, as I think about 2024, I need to really love God more than anything else. How do I love God more than anything else? I think that's a worthy goal, and it, it, it sounds so simple, but how do you do it? And, I, and I, if you take the four things, you know, heart, soul, um, you know, mind, and strength, and, and it really boils down to a couple of things. It boils down to what's in the mind and what's in the heart, to the reason and, and to the passion. You know, whenever I do a sermon, like today, and then I got the series coming up in, in January, and our series in January is a very strong doctrinal series entitled, But God, in dealing with God's grace and love and power and mercy. Um, you know, there's, there's the mind part of it. There's the study, the research, all that. There's the part that's in the mind, the information. But there's always the heart part, the, the appeal to you to build a relationship, the emotion, the the connection that gets you to do something. And, and those sometimes are two different things in my sermon. They're, my mind and my heart are often, I'm, I'm very good with the mind part. It's the heart part, the passion part that you're about. It, it, my prayer is always, God, I got to get what's in here in my mind and what's here in my heart, and it's got to meet right here in my mouth, and it's got to come out together in some way. And I pray that all the time, help the mind and the heart figure a way to work it out. <laughs> and so it makes a coherent message. And really, that's what this love is about. There is the mind, there is the love that always involves reason. You realize love always involves reason. It is, God, how can I know you? I want to know God, but I also want to figure God out. I know that sounds, saying I want to figure God out doesn't, you know, that doesn't sound very churchy, but what I mean by is, is this, I want to know God in my life. I want to know the things about God. I want to understand the things that I understand, but I want to figure out how God works in my life. And right now, you know, I'm really trying to figure out how it works because, you know, in my mind, I understand, you know, when Debbie passed, with Jesus and she's in heaven and, all, and, and, I, and I got peace and all of that. But she was going to go to heaven anyways, you know. She was going to spend eternity with Jesus no matter what. And so there's that part of me that says, why couldn't you keep her around just a little bit longer? Now, I think that too, just like you. I know what's in here, what's right. You still think that. And so part of Life is trying to figure out that. And so much of that just involves, God, I, know, I, I need to know more about God. 
Some of you have so many struggles with God. I get it. People struggle with evil, and they struggle with suffering. They struggle with trying to understand creation and the supernatural, and I get all that. And it's okay to struggle with those things. There's nothing wrong with struggling with that. It's part of being human. And I would encourage you in 2024, figure all that out. When you start reading the Bible tomorrow, so you're going to have these excellent Bible programs. You're going to read all, every, you're going to read all this stuff. Listen, why don't you do this? Why don't you think about the things with God you're struggling with, and you go find the parts of the New Testament especially that deal with that, and you figure God out that way. You have access to so many tools. You've got software programs. You've got right now media. And if you know what that is, contact us, and we can help you get on it. You've got, you know, you got software programs like Logos. You've got so many ways to study the Bible. Go study the parts that you struggle with. And figure out God. Because I guarantee you that's what I'm trying to do this year. I want to love God more than anything. I need to figure him out a little bit. Love also involves passion, involves the heart. It involves this part of you, the emotion. I, I want to please God, and I want to experience God. I want to know him up here, but I want to, please, I want to do the things God wants me to do. But I want to experience God this year in a way I haven't this past year. I always want to experience him in a new way. And whether it's through worship or through service in my connect groups or whatever, or coming, I want, I want somehow to experience God. Because if I'm really going to love God more than anything, every day of my life, I need to experience God. There are a lot of people who don't really love God. And they're in churches. And they love church. They love, some love the doctrine. They love to study all the stuff and get it up here. And some love worship and feel good when they walk away. Some love the liturgy. Some love the Christmas experience. And, you know, we got Easter in three months. Easter comes early this year. It comes in March. And we got Easter coming. And, and they, love, they love all of the things, but they just don't necessarily love God. And there's some people who love the culture they're in. And they, and they want to find a way to fit God in their culture. You know, they love the culture and the way things go. And I see this a lot. I see this happening in the churches. The churches bring the culture into their church. And how do I fit God into the culture? They don't think, how do I fit culture into God? No, 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 no. How do I squeeze God into this corrupt culture that we have? And some of you, you love your values. You have really good values. And you know me. And, and, and you, how do I get God fit in my values? I heard this song on the radio the other day. I was, I was driving back home to San Antonio. It was a fairly new song. It was a pretty good song. I, it was a country song. I never listened to country music for a reason, and that reason was partly was I listening to it at this time. And, uh, but, you know, he was just talking about, you know, you know his, all the things he loves and his values and his faith and his country and, 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 and do this and do that and the way things are and love America and blah, 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 blah. And somehow he loves God. It was like God was just part of the equation, you know. I have all these things I value in life and I just squeeze God in. And that's where a lot of people are. They love their values. They love their culture. They love going to church. They love themselves. They don't really love God. Because here's the thing, when you love God, 
this is what I know. Because I love God, I want to know what God wants from me. And I want to know what God wants for me. God, what do you want from me right now in my life? He wants something from me. What is it that he wants from me? What does he want from you? You're still kicking, you know. You're still breathing. You don't get to retire. You'll retire when one of us stand over your corpse one day, say you're gone or whatever. You're still here. He wants something from you. What does he want from you? But not only that, he wants something for you. And that's the amazing thing. It's not that God wants something from you. He wants something for you this year, for you. What does God want for you? What does God want for you in your life? Because I'm telling you this, whatever God wants from me, whatever God wants for me, that's what I want to be. I want to be right where God can give from me what he wants and give to me what he wants. I want to be right there. And here's the thing, the only way I can be there The only way I can be there is if I love God more than anything. Is if I love God more than anything. Jesus loved God more than anything. And then he loved us. And I know that because of the cross. Because at the cross, he showed how much he loved God. And at the cross, he showed how much he loved us because he gave. The most important thing he could give himself. I want to go through 2024, and I don't want to think, I'm not far from God. I want to go through 2024 thinking, I'm right there with God. Because I love him more than anything. Do you love God in your life? Do you truly love him more than anything? If you do, you follow Jesus. That's always the place you begin. The place you begin isn't by reading or even necessarily by worshiping or praying, the place you begin is by following Jesus. That's how you love God more than anything. You follow Jesus. Have you followed Jesus in your life? And having done that, have you committed to just saying, Lord, this year, I want to know you. Whatever you said, I want to know you. I want to serve you. I want to follow you, whatever. Maybe you should say, God, what I really want this year is just to love you. As a follower of Jesus, I want to love you more than anything. And then loving you more than anything, I can love other people as well. So maybe what you need to do today is, if you've never trusted Christ to be your Savior, what a great way to end the year and start a new one is to give your life to Christ. But since most of you probably have given your life to Christ, are you really following him the way you should? Why don't you commit yourself to this year just to figuring out how you could love God with your mind and with your heart more than anything else and give yourself to him completely. I'm going to be standing here, a few others will be standing here, and if you want to come and pray with one of us, commit yourself for this new year with one of us, join our church, whatever you want to do. It doesn't really matter what you want to do. You need to do it. But here's the thing. When you walk out of this church for the last time in 2023, as you get ready for 2024, come back next week knowing this. You've committed yourself this year to loving God. To loving God more than anything. Father, to love you, to love others, this sums up everything. It is foremost above all. So help us today as we end this year, as we begin a new year, 
to commit ourselves to this one thing, commit ourselves to loving you and loving others, to love and to give completely. Because this is your call upon our life, that we will follow Jesus, loving you more than we love anything else. Amen.